At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Hub podcast. And in this episode, I have Mark from Exo Mountain Gear talking about his early season elk hunt that he has planned and something that he's not used to. He's not used to that earlier season. And I think this will be a fitting episode since we're talking about early season hunting or early season hunting is just right around the corner and uh kind of talked about that opening week but also talking about um, his game plan for finding elk and then also a women's pack line that they have going on and maybe some potential changes with exo mountain gear and if you're a fan of exo mountain gear like i am uh, this is worth a listen talking about mainly elk hunting touch of packs but mainly elk hunting because september is right around the corner and again if you don't enjoy this podcast go listen to something else and that comes from some recent feedback i got a pretty useless email uh that told me two episodes really sucked so cool uh, i know which ones are not good so uh don't really need that so if you got some uh, some positive things to say those are always great or podcast ideas those are great remember podcasts are free and you can go listen to something else any other time so thanks again for all you guys that listen and provide uh quality feedback thanks again appreciate you all all right welcome back mark to the western running podcast thanks for Jumping on again, it's not just second, but maybe third, or I don't even know where we're at. So you're one of the first 10 episodes I had, now we're at episode 139. Uh, oh, yeah, so we've been rolling for a couple of years now, uh, two and a half years, I think. So, uh, But wanted to bring you back on because it's elk hunting season right around the corner. People are getting jacked. They're excited. Um, I'm sure you see that with sales and saying, hey, expedite ship. Uh, I need that. Uh, forget it. I don't care. Uh, I need a quality pack. Now's the time. I'm going to do it. So, uh, and, yeah. and you guys definitely have that pack. So I just want to chat a little bit about maybe your fall plans, kind of some strategies of what you like to do and you guys like to do as far as uh, uh, finding elk first and then getting in range just to have some of those little strategies for guys to to listen to on their on their drive out to, to see if they can be a little more successful. So welcome back. And if you would just introduce yourself again. Yeah, you bet, man. Thanks for having me. It's, um, it's fun. Uh, yeah, as you said, Mark Hilsing, I work for Exo mountain gear. So we make pack systems, uh, for backcountry hunting. Uh, so the whole idea that whether you're backpack hunting, which is what we do a lot. So we'll be going in on foot and carrying, you know, a week's worth of gear. And then obviously have the need to to haul meat out at the end of a successful hunt. 
Um, or, you know, we do have different models. So even if you're day hunting, kind of no matter what you're doing, if it's a need where you need a good pack to hunt with and then uh, the capabilities to haul out heavy loads, that's all we do. Uh, personally, grew up in the Midwest uh, in Missouri, um, started hunting there, whitetail, uh, and then basically self-taught, decided, hey, I want to go and start hunting out west. And it was a much different time back then. You just didn't have the resources mm-hmm. of Onyx Maps and uh, University of Elk Hunting and YouTube and all the stuff we have now. So it was a much different uh, journey back then um, and definitely learned some hard lessons along the way. But just continued to gain hunting experience and it's been a fun ride. And then fortunately, uh, because of working with EXO, and then we do a podcast called the Hunt Backcountry Podcast. So just gotten to meet a lot of good people. And so it's been fun. I'm sure like you do, it's fun to have a podcast because you talk with guys somewhat <laughs> very selfishly and oh, you're like, yeah. Oh, I, I, I get to learn. And then, you know, we happen to be hitting record and putting this out there for other people to learn too. Yeah. The, I don't journal or anything like that, but this is my electronic journal of yeah, things. I, yeah. Things I've learned. Uh, and so one of the episodes I did like five, six months ago was with Danny Ferris from Hoyt, um, on the stalker decoy. And I don't like listening to my own episodes, but that's one I'm going to go back to and give it a listen. Like, okay, what did he tell me? He gave me a couple of really good tips just on using that decoy. So I'm going to go back and listen. It's like, okay, I know, I know the library it's there. And uh, this hunt stories are there. So it's just a way to, um, somebody's told me once that like, well, your, your kids are going to be able to listen to this if they want to, or grandkids. I know, <laughs> I know if my grandpa, I can say this, if my grandpa had a recording of his stories, now that he's gone, I would listen to it. I would oh, absolutely listen to it because those stories I heard over and over and over again are fading. Even though they're they're there, I just remember something about him crawling through a herd of antelope and like poking a doe with his arrow. I don't know, just grandpa yeah. stories that who knows the truth on them. But they're they're uh, they're special in in that world that that they're up in my head somewhere. But now that nowadays we've got this this video. Uh, or audio. Um, and I'm, I'm envious. I have no desire to do video, but I'm envious of those people that have that, um, as a, their library. Cause I wish I could watch grandpa's in his hunting. I wish I, yeah, yeah that'd be something kind of cool and nothing I'm jumping into by any means. I, I have a hard enough time as it is. I don't need, I, I'm not doing a <laughs> camera thing. Right. It's, it's a saturated market. I have no desire to do that. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I would say too, like for the listeners who are hearing that and going, Oh, that is cool, but I don't have a podcast or, you know, YouTube channel or whatever. Um, I'm actually pretty, I don't want to say like uh, anti-hunting media by any means, but like personally, like you were talking about, like I don't really, I would prefer to not be on video or things like that yeah. or even put much of my personal content out there from a hunting perspective. Mm-hmm. That happens with the podcast, but even things like photos, man, I've doubled down on trying to like capture as much memory of trips as possible not for instagram not for anything other than like friends and family and even honestly myself um like a perfect example of that is i kind of self-filmed a bear hunt this spring 
and uh, it was me and Steve from EXO and just did it. I didn't care about production quality. It wasn't going to be this hunting film on YouTube. Uh, it's on YouTube privately, but being able to like share that link with family and friends or the investment of like photos going back like a few years to look at trips and going, I'm so glad I took a ton of photos on purpose because it's so fun to go back and relive that. Yeah. So yeah, I would just say for people who are, have zero interest in YouTube podcasts, Instagram, like being out there, I a hundred percent agree. I feel you, but still try to capture as much of the hunt and document that in some way, whether it's photo, audio, video, a written journal, whatever. Cause years later, both you and like you said, your kids or whoever are going to be glad that, you have that to go back to. Yeah. Uh, I had a buddy. Here's another kind of cool idea. Um, he just texted me this morning, but uh, Jason, you're going to have to remind me exactly what you guys do. But he had a buddy. Jason has a uh, kind of a thing he does on every hunt. And I'm pretty sure he takes a picture and he likes to take a picture of like him and his buddy. And then he'll um, kind of record. I swear he records something just as a, um, this hunt was five days. We did this, this, and this, and this. And he's now he has just like a little audio of just what the hunt was instead of mm-hmm. like a, a little journal of this and that. The only journal thing I have is literally a, this is the year. And this is the, I put down the, it, this sounds horrible, but it's, it sounds kind of like a notch in my belt, but it's a like, five point out of Colorado or <laughs> I, um, yeah. filled three doe tags in, uh, Butte County, blah, blah, blah. Just, uh, just, a, right. that's the extent of it. Cause I don't like writing, but the, um, uh, just a, he had a kind of a really cool thing him and his buddy did. Uh, and it was like a video. That's what it was. He was recording just a video on his phone, like at night in camp or afterwards mm-hmm. saying, this is what he did. And now he's got this file in his computer of, like all his hunts. I think that was super easy, simple, and a great way to capture capture some of those those memories. So something cool. Yeah. That's great. But um anyway, moving on, you are headed to Colorado this year for some elk hunting. Kind of tell us a little bit about your, your game plan there. Yeah, so a friend of mine, we elk hunt uh, together most years. Um he drew a tag in Colorado. It's not a, like a crazy, hasn't been waiting a lifetime or decades for or anything like that, but had some points and strategically um, drew this tag. And we were sitting about the same amount of points uh, in Colorado. And so when we started talking about using some of them, you know, the first thing I came to mind is, hey, we both have about the same amount of points. We should be able, both be able to draw this tag. Let's do it. Let's hunt, um, you know, this unit and use these points. And we started talking about though, maybe that would work great, but maybe a strategy, and I'm just throwing this out there because I don't know how many guys, you know, maybe with a hunting partner think like this of what if my buddy's name's Jared, Jared, what if you used your points through this tag? We go hunt it. I'm just going to come be a caller, be a packer, whatever. And then we see like, was that worth it? Was that a great use of those points or not? Is that a unit we want to hunt again or not? And then, so let's say we go this year, have a killer hunt, we're like, heck yeah. He fills a tag. Well, next year I could just draw the same unit. And so instead of both of us using all of our points and going all in on this unit, 
basically we're essentially taking turns, right? Um, he's using some points. We're going to go hunt this unit together. I'm fully there to support him. Uh, and then if it's great, maybe we'll go back next year. If it's not, maybe we'll sit down together and go, okay, well, now I have a certain amount of points. What's another unit that we'd be interested in, uh, again, to hunt together, but with one tag? So it's a, it's something to consider if you guys are have a friend or maybe partnering up with somebody with points. Um, maybe you could get the tag together, but maybe this alternate strategy would work. So that's what we're doing. I'm going to call and hopefully pack out a bull for him. And then if we have time, uh, you know, say we fill a tag pretty early in the hunt, we have another handful of days to hunt. Colorado being Colorado, we could go to a different unit and I could still just purchase an over-the-counter tag if, uh, if I wanted to do that. So that's kind of the big picture. Some of the things that are unique for us for this year is we're hunting the opener. That's not something we've typically done. Uh, I've hunted basically every part of Colorado's uh, season except for the opening week and there's just in the past year has been very practical reasons for that with like work schedules and things like that so um, hunting that opening week's uh, going to be something fun to check out and then partially the unit um, just kind of seemed like that would be a good possibility it's a higher unit some more open country um, some broken country to have some glassing opportunity maybe even catch some elk uh above timber uh above the tree line still and kind of see what their patterns are so in a lot of ways i've hunted colorado for elk quite a bit but this definitely feels very much like a first if you will just because it's a different time of year totally different place bit of a different strategy uh so it's it's honestly been really exciting to to have all of that anticipation and unknown about it oh yeah and i bet the excitement is high just because those those unknowns and trying something new are, are totally what what gets me going. I love the the excitement of something new and and the new challenge. Even not that elk hunting isn't enough of a challenge, but sometimes it just be <laughs> daunting Dude, enough yeah. of like it'll just take the wind out of your sails. But uh, another a thought is you're saying that you guys' strategy is statistically depending on the unit you drew, but statistically I'm sure it shows you both would not fill. Um, oh, your yes. tag. So, Correct. and then that adds in the economical piece of it, both dropping $700 as a non-resident, maybe I'm yep. assuming your buddy's a non-resident, um, yep. it is tough to do. And so you get that little bit of resentment of like, okay, we're always working on you. How about you're calling for me, but maybe someone's <laughs> a better caller. So you're, it's just this weird dynamic of, well, we both got $700 on the line, but we want to fill it, but yet we're enjoying just calling and having a good time. So it's, I am totally in that same, same boat. I, I think that's a great strategy. Um, and my dad and I are going to do the same thing. Not, not this year, uh, next year and in future years of, uh, we're just going to worry about one tag first and, and go back to the store and pick up another one. That's the great thing about Colorado. We don't have to, don't have to make a decision. You can just go and have a good time. Um, yeah. And I just think it's a very, it's it, obviously a big factor of what goes into a strategy like this is who are you hunting with, right? Do you yeah. have that go-to hunting partner or, you know, maybe it's like for you guys, maybe it's your dad, maybe it's your brother, your cousin, whatever. But like, even not only think of doing that once, but just thinking together in a hunting partnership, 
what's a strategy that we can do for multiple years? Um, and obviously it takes guys who are willing to be somewhat selfless and share in success. And um, I mean, it's not like a cliche or something I'm just saying, but if we go and he kills a bull, much less an amazing bull, I am going to be just as happy as, you know, for him. And honestly, for me, like I was there, I was part of it. Uh, I'll be just as happy as, if I was the guy who released that arrow and that's something that's been proven, like with my buddy, Jared, for example, is that in years past, he's called in bulls for me. I've called in bulls for him. Like it's just very much a team effort. And it's a lot of fun when you're not worried about dealing with drama or somebody who's selfish or crabby or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I had a great episode with Colin Cottrell. I don't know if you know who he is, but he, uh, um, really cool guy, really cool guy. Um, that, uh, he was talking about that. We, our whole episode was just surrounding yourself with good people. And if you're, if you got that good hunting buddy or people around you, uh, that you have that like-mindedness in your hunts, then it doesn't matter. You're, you're rooting for each other and, and not tearing each other down, but you're rooting for each other and you're excited about that. I've got that with, with uh, one of my buddies for sure, and he called in w- one of my last bulls for me, uh, and we we still it was it was just really nice to have somebody that that uh, literally said this one is yours. It's like it is mm-hmm. yours. You're shooting this bull, um, and I called one in for him a few years earlier, and it was just one of those awesome awesome stories where we should have doubled up that day on the first pull. We almost did. We were so close to doubling. It was, it was awesome. But, yeah. uh, anyway, yeah, the, who you surround yourself with in your hunting camp is, is, uh, why I literally go with just a couple of buddies, my dad, otherwise I'm by myself. <laughs> I don't, I like yeah. to just because I, it's, it's hard to find good, good people that you can share that sentiment and share that, uh, that like-mindedness, um, and be okay with, joking around and talking to for like five days straight 20 hours a day so yeah and and we get a lot of questions on like hey how do you find a good hunting partner or like vet that they are going to be a good hunting partner and for most guys there's so much investment for you know a hunting trip and a lot of guys it's out of state right so you're talking like okay this is for most guys my one week off of work it's my time that I have and it costs me a good chunk of money and time away from family and et cetera, et cetera. It's like, it's a big risk to go do that with someone when you don't know them well, or that you just may not get along with or whatever. So I just always encourage guys like find a way to do something. Like if you're thinking of going on this hunting trip with some dude that you've never done a trip with, do something, do something close to home, go backpacking, go do a long hike, like ideally something with some level of adversity. So you can kind of see how they handle that, that type of thing. Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing is don't be afraid to just say no. Like there, I've talked with so many guys who basically, I don't want to say been guilted into a hunt, but almost thought of like obligation have say like, okay, I have this good buddy at home or great friends. Like we hang out, whatever. But that doesn't mean that that friend is like the right guy to go on a backcountry trip with and live for a week. Right. Yeah. And you just have to be really honest about that stuff because 
again, the time you do have is limited and um, stuff can happen for sure. Like things can go south. Not every moment out there is going to be peachy no matter who you're with, but it just, you don't really want to risk having a terrible week because you didn't quite realize that, hey, this is not the right person to do this with. Well, I'm on your website right now, and there's a little space between the XO Mountain Gear logo and the FAQ section at the top where you could just have hunting buddy dating app. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you XO go. I'm going to start a new new dating app on uh, finding your hunting buddy. <laughs> Dude, in a way, we almost do. So, like, <laughs> we just released the podcast uh, on Wednesday, a couple days before recording this, and it was like a listener story about this guy from Texas. He's going to Idaho, and uh, long story short, he was going to go with some people. Now he's going solo. And so we were kind of telling his story and this podcast has been out for 36 hours at this point. And I've already had five people email the podcast email and be like, Hey, if you don't mind, could you share my information uh, with, I think the dude's name's Taylor. Would you share my info with Taylor? Cause I'd be really interested in talking with them or maybe going hunting with them. Like, so in a way, we, we and we have, I know for a fact, like connected people who've heard stories on the podcast and then ended up reaching out. So that's cool. the full app of like Hunting Center <laughs> is not there yet, but we have made some connections. Yeah, just an idea. Throw it out there. You already got the full business plan model. It's already, I've got it, nothing it, else to do, man. No, I do it. no, no. Um, so opening weekend should be a good time. Uh I, I think I love the opening weekend. Uh, it, it's uh, one of those challenges of kind of needing to be there a day early and kind of claim a spot or two um, mm-hmm. if that's the kind of – if it's a high-pressure place. But one thing I really like about that early season is you still can find bulls talking and absolutely find bulls talking and then they're they're also still working. They are just starting their herd dynamics. I love that. I absolutely love it uh, because they're they're with a bunch of cows this time, or it's the young bulls with the cows this time. And then there's big bulls all by himself, and he's susceptible. He's easy to kind of talk to, um, yep. and, and so I, it's a really great time. And I've I've noticed like that opening. I'm really curious to see how you guys' hunt goes because I I've noticed. The opening day is can be like the best opening day in the first half of Sunday can be the best or whatever days it's I guess it's not on a weekend anymore um, but and then it kind of tapers off and then pecks back up somewhere around that Labor Day weekend so I'm curious to see how that how that goes for you but yeah I am too man what uh, what kind of strategies do you got in mind for I'm sure you and your your buddy Jared have ch- talked about hey we're gonna try this and that for for early season what's your what's the game plan of finding yeah, I mean, elk let's go say with finding elk for sure so obviously e-scouting is where where everybody starts it's where we start again we're going into a unit we have not been in we didn't get a chance to take a scouting trip and put boots on the ground so e-scouting has been critical and you know i've just learned in my experience like do as much e-scouting as you can and still hold that loosely right because there's been times where i've e-scouted and been so confident in something and then you get there and it's like oh this is not at all the way i thought it was gonna be uh and then vice versa there's been spots that i've like eh, i'm gonna put this down like he's scouting wise and maybe it's okay 
but it doesn't seem great. And then you get there and it's fantastic. So, um, you know, not only e-scouting from that perspective of like, okay, elk need food, water, cover. Here's where I think those pieces come together. But obviously a huge part of e-scouting is just access. Um, so not only what can you access, but then what is the common access? Therefore, where is the hunting pressure I most likely going to be? Um, and start to look at those dynamics of access. Um, you know, sometimes you see roads, for example, and this isn't unique to Colorado, but you'll see roads on, on things and you immediately think, okay, there's a road that's bad. Let me avoid it. Sometimes you got to dig deeper and actually see is, is this a road that's even open anymore? Um, some roads are closed permanently and then some roads close like based on dates seasonally. So you can't just, for example, look and go, okay, here's a road and either assume a road means there's going to be pressure. I want to avoid it. Or on the flip side, assume, Hey, there's a road here. That means I can use it for access. So a lot of times doing things like that, like you got to get into national forest and they have like their MVUMs, which is motor vehicle use map. It's going to show you what roads are actually open or what are the seasonal dates of roads and all, you know, that whole strategy. Um, I, I like that. And I know you, that just made me know, learn something about myself. That's totally what I focus on is more the aspect or the, the access than, yeah. than the actual terrain and cover and looking for a bedding area or a feeding area. I think I feel I'm way more, I use that way more just for that access. Um, I suppose I need to learn a little bit more about trying to find those bedding and feeding areas. And I put that together and heck yeah. But no, I, 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 I do. I like that. Yeah. I'm, you, you taught yeah, me I mean, something about I, myself. From a super high level, I would say like, when you think of e-scouting, think almost of two different, two different categories, right? Like one e-scout for elk and then two e-scout for hunting. So meaning like hunting pressure, hunting access, again, that's, there's a balance there. You need access depending on what type of uh, capabilities you have or how physically you want the hunt to be, but then also anticipating where hunters are. So on one hand, I'm e-scouting, looking for elk habitat, et cetera. And then the other hand, I'm e-scouting, looking for hunters or even what are my own access points. And then when you try and bring those two things together, now, hopefully you're finding some sweet spots. Um, so that's been a, something I kind of always do. And then in particular for this hunt, um, we are going to be able to get in there the day before the opener and do some glassing. Um, and this, this country lays out pretty well to do some glassing from some certain key areas. So again, finding those glassing points, uh, where can we get and be efficient and let the glass find some elk for us before we just start burning up miles. And so that's going to start the, the, you know, before the hunt even begins, uh, getting in there a little bit early and doing that, you know, when it comes to glassing points, um, just thinking through things like how much country can I see, what's going to be a good vantage point. Um, even what way is the sun going to be? Is this going to be, a point where I'm looking to glass all day, all hours of the day, or is this very specifically like, Hey, I'm going here and here in the morning, but then you realize, Oh, I'm actually right into the sun. It's actually going to be difficult to glass here in the morning. This would be a better evening spot, for example. Oh. Um, so thinking through those yeah. things can be pretty key. 
Yeah, I guess I had never thought about that. That makes a lot of sense. Because <laughs> you're just, yeah. instead of just getting there, like, this is kind of hard to see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, you don't you don't want to be staring straight into the sunrise or straight into the sunset. Obviously, you can get that sun at your back, use that to your advantage, um, and then have that sun not in your face, but exposing kind of the hillside, the mountainside that you actually want to see, help those animals pop and give you really good visibility. So, Again, that's not always a factor, but it definitely is a factor to consider when you're looking uh, for glassing spots. And then when it comes to glassing spots, just um, nothing beats, thankfully, with the great imagery we have these days and apps like 3D terrain. So you may find a glassing spot and look at a strategy for how to get there. And then drop a pen there and then get in the best 3D mode you can from that waypoint and then look and go what kind of ground can i see uh maybe if i move this glassing point a quarter of a mile to the north i'll actually be able to actually see into more country the way the basin lays out for example so again that's e-scouting stuff but using that to your advantage to before you get there with boots on the ground try and give yourself perspective and put yourself there with 3d imagery to see what you're going to be able to see from that glassing point. So um, Onyx Maps uh, has a 3D mode now. Uh, Go Hunt has a 3D mode. There's a bunch of other apps out there that are hunt specific. And then I just still always fall back to using Google Earth and really using as many of those resources as you can to get a better feel for it. Um, it's really just helpful to try and use as many different sources of imagery as possible uh, to give you, you know, they're all taken at different times, have different perspectives, sometimes different qualities. Um, so you just want to try and cross-reference as many of those as possible. Yeah. And keep an eye on those, uh, those ridge lines in that open country. It's like right where the, on, in the morning, right where that open country or open hillside, uh, like the north face slope kind of meets that east and northeast-ish like uh aspen pockets where they're bedding it seems like majority of my elk i find are coming right down that tree line and then they dive on into the cover into the aspens just been a heavy heavy travel route for for so many elk that i've found uh and and then onyx now has uh like an enhanced 3d so for people out in the plains i got i haven't tried it yet i just saw on their their new feature video so flatlanders can go and emphasize the 3d so it sticks out even more because yep. you're at where you are in eastern south dakota you can't really see like a little drainage it, it just all looks 3d mode looks flat <laughs> so yeah and that's that's i have played with that in onyx it's really helpful that's oh, cool. um years ago and this is still the case but like that's a trick that i learned from a buddy of mine jason right and you could do that. I mean, I'm talking like 10 years ago in Google Earth, like when that was the only option, mm-hmm. you can change the scale um, and make it more drastic. So like if you think, um, I think by default in Google Earth, for example, it defaults to like, okay, here's the scale is just one. Like that's how extreme it's going to show you elevation change. If you get in, get in there and bump that to like 1.2 or 1.3, it basically exaggerates elevation change. Uh, but I've actually found that to be more realistic to what it feels like when you're on the ground going, oh, that way, mountain's way bigger than I thought it was <laughs> on Google Earth. Yeah. Huh. Uh, so uh, you got your spot. You've kind of, by now I'm 
I'm assuming you guys got a bit of a game plan because we're coming up close here. Uh, what's your game plan on the ground for uh, closing the distance? Like, what's your what's your guys's style of we got elk located and we're going to close the distance from where we yeah. found them to to getting in close? Yep. Yeah, I think um, I, to be honest with you, still struggle sometimes because there is, I think there's hunters with a style, right? So I think of like, I know the born and raised guys. Well, they're obviously known for being mobile and bugling and calling and finding that bull that, that wants to talk. Yeah. Uh, and then I know other guys who are much more methodical, slower, um, maybe do even for elk, more spot and stalk, things like that. And I feel like for me, I'm, I don't want to be stuck on a way or a style. And I try to in the moment, think through the dynamics of what I feel like would work best here and now. So how vocal are the elk? Um, how visible are they? Are they herded up? Are bulls still so low? Are there satellites running around? Um, so through all those dynamics, I'm trying to assess what I think is going to be the best approach um, in terms of actual hunting approach. Um, you know, again, going back to this hunt, we're going to start even before opening day, be glassing. So really we're going into this hunt with multiple options of okay, if we go in here and we spend two days from this area and don't glass elk, like here's where we're going to move to. And I think that's really important is knowing, obviously everything goes out the window if you find elk or you're chasing bugles or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like at that point, you're just hunting those elk. What's really important is when you don't find those elk to hunt, how predetermined is your plan? And I'm not saying everybody needs to do this, but I think it can be a very helpful exercise to go through and say, all right, we have seven days to hunt. Well, let's think through the plan for worst case scenario. And by worst case scenario, I just mean we're not finding elk. And so sometimes predetermining, all right, if we're not finding elk, we're not finding fresh sign, et cetera. Here's how much time we're willing to commit to this area. And then when that time's up, here's where we're going the next spot. And then how much time do we think we should spend here and so on and so forth? Because when you're, when you get on that hunt and you're in the middle of it, sometimes it's just harder to make decisions or um, to really overanalyze things in a way where you're not being decisive. And so I think in some ways it's helpful to predetermine as much of that as possible and say, all right, we're going in here for whether that's, a half a day or it's two days or three days. But if we're not finding elk, hunting elk on very, very fresh sign, like very fresh sign, if that's not happening here, boom, after so long, we're going there. So um, we've kind of done that for this hunt of, okay, here's how much time I think we're going to spend here. If that doesn't pan out, here's where we're going. And, and some of those are different areas, but some of those areas also have different types of cover and therefore different hunting strategies associated with them. Right. So, um, we may go from being glassing open country, um, and making an approach on a bull. And then there's points on this hunt with this unit where we may be into 
thicker, darker timber with a different calling strategy, just based on how things go. Yeah. One of my biggest pet peeves is when, uh, avid veteran hunter, whatever has a one style and said, this works. That never works. That never works. Yeah. There's yep. always exceptions. And I always tell new hunters as they're, as I'm working with them, they say, well, what do deer like to, it's like, it always depends. It always depends. And so and then we go into a conversation of this happens, then this happens, and maybe this could happen. So I'm going to respond in this way. So I really appreciate that flexible style and admire that because it, it has to be that. I think you're going to be a better hunter by having a little bit of that aggressiveness when you need to, like the born and raised guys. And then, um, being, uh, a, a spot, having that, that thing in your toolbox of when I have to spot and stock I hear Remy Warren talking about having to spot and he, spot and stocks in his, in their beds. Like, Oh my gosh, I don't know how they do that. But, uh, um, uh, having that piece and, and slow plan when, when you need to. So, definitely just adding tools to your toolbox when you need to. So I think that's a, a good route to go. And, and I think many listeners would agree. Yeah. And maybe it's just, I'm not good enough at anything. That that's what I'm thinking for yet. me. So too. I'm, I'm willing to say that. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I am humble enough to say I am right there with you. Um, so knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. After, I guess let's move on to uh, uh, some Exo stuff. Um, we, I just added a new little little accessory, a different company, but a different accessory to the, to my pack, a little FHF gear uh, gun sling, which I think will be all right, and, and it it uh, here it fixes to the XO pack really nicely. Because um, there's times I want to, I've strapped it to the back of my pack, and um, that's definitely for when I'm I'm not needing to be as ready. It's like my I have a nasty kind of hike and I'm not even hunting. I just want to get there. And then there's times when it's I need my guns or my bow, uh, so I've got I've got it in hand or I've got it over my shoulder here. Uh, what are some of those things that you like to add on to your pack that are um, additionals, either your products or other companies' products that uh, are great additions. Yeah, we purposely keep things very simple. Um, so we do have some accessories. We have a uh, hip belt pouch and a stash pocket, which is like internal organization. Uh, we do have a bow carrier and a rifle carrier, and some different things, but we don't. Uh, I'll put it this way we get requests for things of like, hey, could you guys add this? Could you do that? And most of the time, if it's something that there's an answer for, even if we don't make it, we'll just flat out tell people, hey, here's a great solution. We don't make this. We don't sell this. It works great with our packs. 
we just purposely like to keep things pretty streamlined and efficient. Mm -hmm. Um, even amongst our own accessories, uh, I don't add too much. So like, um, my pack generally I'll have one hip belt pouch, uh, one to two stash pockets, which are those internal organization, um, items. And then, uh, usually the rifle carrier, obviously when I'm rifle hunting. So that's about it. Um, the, the sling you were talking about, it's from FHF gear. Those guys are great. We know those guys, um, they make great stuff and it does work, um, incredibly well with our packs and really solves, uh, some problems for guys who use a rifle sling and who wants a rifle sling, but have been frustrated with the fact that when you take your slung rifle, put it over your pack shoulder straps, it tends to want to like ride or slide off. Um, and so those guys created a sling, but then it also has, um, it integrates with the pack in a way where it basically clips to the pack. So it's, it's a sling and it's hands free though, when you connect it to the pack and it works great. So that's a really good example of a solution, um, that works well. There's, there's another guy I'm aware of who's uh, a user of our pack who makes like a, a metal stud that he installs oh, I've on, seen that. Yeah. on the shoulder harness. Yeah. It's like the downside to that is you literally have to make a hole and go through a pack. But um, yeah, there's a lot of solutions out there for different things that work well their packs. Like another uh, perfect example is uh, Gabriel over at Ivory Holsters, who's right there out of Colorado. Oh, saw um, those too. Yeah. Yeah. He makes custom Kydex holsters and he reached out to me probably, it's probably been four years ago at this point. Um, and just asked like, Hey, what holster do you use with your packs? And I kind of said, well, I've used this, that, and the other one and they work fine, but, um, you know, they don't, they're not perfect for pack use. Like they're great for your hip, um, whether that's inside the waistband or outside the waistband and you can put those on our pack, but I definitely have some ideas on things that would make a better pack specific holster. Uh, he's like, Oh really? Like let me know what you're looking for and I'll make you one. And so, you know, I give him some ideas and feedback and he just like crushed it on making a holster for the packs. And I was like, dude, this is cool. You should start making them. And sure enough, he did. So um, that's another example of something that's, I would say not specific to just our packs because they fit other packs, but like a perfect example of, Hey, here's an accessory that works great with hunting packs and meet the needs of hunters. Um, we just, we're not interested in making holsters, for example. So yeah. I'm glad yeah. that I'm glad that Gabriel's making them for our packs. I don't care one bit to like recommend him and let him make all the money because he's doing all the work on those. I, I do like having the one hip pouch on the left side and then my firearm does go on that right. And I like yeah. having the gun, a part of the pack. Um, I don't hunt grizzly country, so the whole that's a totally different story. I think as far as like gun on your chest and if you leave your pack and all, I don't know. I I just don't hunt that country, so I don't have a clue. But I do like that where my gun is just there and I don't even know it because it's it's got that little oh six eight inches of strap whatever it is on the hip belt yeah. and it's not cutting into me. It's there. It's tight. And I had that exact same recommendation just a couple of weeks ago from a, a buddy said, you got to check out those, uh, what's the name of it? Ivory. Um, yeah. Ivory holsters. Ivory holsters. Like elk yeah. Ivory. Yep. yep. He said, you got to check these out. And he, he went and bought one for his 
XO packs that did did the same thing. So um, yeah, I'll have to check those out because they are hard uh, synthetic or whatever material, I guess it is. Something yeah, like Kydex. That. Yeah, so they're custom molded to your firearm, um, you know, to your specific model. And then just to like highlight quick, some of the changes from like, call it a normal holster. Again, that's not meant for pack use, but Gabriel pre-curves the holster a bit. And so obviously when you're wearing a pack hip belt, again, whether it's ours or another pack company, is wrapping around your hip. Um, and so he pre-curves the holster to kind of fit that naturally. Um, he tries to either fully enclose the muzzle end, which he can do on more compact firearms, or if it's a longer, a firearm with a longer slide, if it's not fully enclosed, he still wraps it around the end of the slide or the muzzle. Um, and so that way, when you're like taking your pack off and it's hitting the dirt, whatever, you're just not getting a bunch of stuff up inside of the barrel, which is again, a big downside I've noticed in the pack. Um, so there's still a lot of little changes that make it really cool for pack use. Again, whether you're using our pack or others. Yeah. Cool. What are some of those other needs that you've had from customers say, hey, we like this, but yeah, we're yeah, good. Per- <laughs> yeah, a perfect example is like rain covers. Yeah. Um, and so our number one, our packs are very water resistant. Uh, we use a 500D Cordura with like a DWR. And then there's also like a very water resistant backing. Um, so I would say for a lot of guys, do you need any extra protection? Like let's have that conversation because if you're the guy hunting archery season and you're in the high country and you get like those passing afternoon showers, the pack's going to shed all that moisture. Great. But that's a different demand than, Hey, I hunt Pacific Northwest it's either constantly raining or I'm in constant thick, wet brush for days on end. Anything that's water resistant eventually has a saturation point. We're just very honest to say, Hey, this is water resistant. It will shed moisture great up until a point. And so when you get in more extreme environments, uh, guys going North to Alaska, for example, um, you know, we get questions about pack rain covers. There's a million pack rain covers out there that will fit our packs we don't make one. We do have a different solution and we're always happy to tell you what the pros and cons are of our solution versus an external pack rain cover. And if guys say they want a pack rain cover, go get one. Don't buy our solution if if that's what you want. But our solution is an internal waterproof dry bag liner. So the entire main volume of the pack has a very specific dry bag that fits our pack. And your gear goes inside of that, inside of the pack. The big advantages for us having used rain covers externally in the the past are those rain covers tend to be really noisy. Um, They're not very durable. They tend to redirect water. So like it'll cover the top of your pack, but it's actually going to dump a bunch of that water that it's shedding down between like your neck and your back and still get in the top section of the pack. Um, and then, yeah, noise durability, et cetera. And then they're also just not, they're still not fully waterproof. And this may sound dramatic, but like if you were to fall crossing a creek or a river, I used to like think that was more dramatic than it is. And <laughs> past years I've crossed a lot of waterways hunting. Um, it's really important. So if you go down with a pack rain cover, it's not going to do anything in a water crossing. So this internal dry bag liner, 
takes things inside, keeps things quiet, allows you to still access the exterior pockets of your pack, true 100% protection, et cetera. So again, that's like, here's our solution. And then if that's not what you're looking for and you want an alternative, that's a good example of things on the market that we're not going to make, but that work really well with our packs being external rain covers. I'm glad you brought that up because I had that same, I get that same question from some friends as well, just about how I, how I go about the water resistance or do I have a pack cover or what do I do? And so, yeah, that's a, that's a commonly, commonly brought up topic. So, yeah. Um, what, uh, what's this new, new, I guess I don't even know how old it is. Um, the women's line youth line. Um, we were just talking about that a little bit. What, uh, what have you guys created? Yeah. So like, Basically, it goes back to a few years ago. Um, we, we, we don't go to all the hunting shows that are out there, um, you know, like SCI. And there's just like, we could be on the road for a month at a time going to hunt expos and stuff like that if we wanted to. And it would be fun. We just can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we go to a couple shows like Hunt Expo in Salt Lake City, for example. And we really, over the last handful of years, noticed more and more women interested not only in hunting and in general but like interested in a good quality pack because they are going into the back country or they are wanting to pack out meat they are wanting to do a backpack hunt and you know our packs can fit some women but there's kind of two things that don't generally work well is number one obviously there's a lot of shorter females out there and even if you were to take like a female who's relatively tall, call it five, six, five, seven. If you stand them next to a guy that's five, six, five, seven, you'll notice that the women have higher hips and actually a shorter torso in general compared to guys on the same height. And so it got really um, difficult to fit women into packs properly. Um, it's like, yeah, you can use this, but like, we could make it better for you. And so as we saw more interest out there, we just decided, Hey, let's do something about this. At the end of the day, I don't care if we sell, you know, 20 of these a year, but like we just wanted a solution for ladies who wanted to get out and get after it. And so we made, um, we took our standard K3 packs, took some length out of the frame, made the frame shorter to fit them better. Um, we contoured the shoulder harness as well. So we made it a bit thinner and then it actually, um, is curved and shaped a bit different just to fit the female figure. who's going to have more of a chest than we do. Um, and then made a bag kind of specific now to the shorter frame and really went from going, Hey, here's a pack that can kind of sort of fit you to now saying, Hey, here's a pack that was actually specifically designed to fit you well. Um, but still has a ton of adjustability, still has a titanium frame, um, really still has all the capabilities of our other packs. And so that was probably two, two and a half years ago. And we've kind of not purposely kept it quiet, but we just, we've basically said, hey, here, here this is quietly. And then when we get a lot of questions, we end up selling quite a bit of them. But they're on our website now, but not for purchase. Um, so you still will basically just contact us to order one, but you can go to the website and see all about them, uh, see some field photos from ladies who've tested them. 
Um, and then if you have any questions or want to order one, you just contact us and we'll work directly with you. But oh, okay. we've, we've had a ton of women running those for a couple of years now. Um, they're great for youth as well. Um, so like a buddy of mine has a 11 year old that runs one. And then to be honest with you, I have some adult male friends who are just shorter in stature and, and they even run that shorter frame. So it just works well for really if you're five, uh, five foot to if you're a male up to maybe like five, 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 six, or if you're a female, uh, again, cause their hips and torsos structured a bit different. I would say if you're five foot to like five, nine, five, 10, this, what we call the EXS, which stands for extra short, um, that system would fit you. And then if you happen to be a female who's like five, 10 or up, um, one of our K3 frames would still fit you well. Huh. Well, that's what I was going to ask that I clicked on the link. It was like, no, you can't really purchase it, but the info is here. So that's good to know and good to yeah. share. Yeah, um, we do actually, if anybody's hearing this, because the website says contact us about lead times and et cetera, et cetera. We do have some in stock uh, right now. So it is something, if you're one of those, hey, I need something for this fall, we could definitely get get you guys set up. Excellent. Well, cool. Um Good adjustment for the growing need for sure. I had the I had that same question about women's hunting pants <laughs> yesterday. So I was like, "Yep, I know you're struggling. I know you're struggling, but there's actually a solution now. You just got to contact some of these companies that that have made women's women's clothing." So um, yeah, and I sure. think like for us next year, you'll probably see that become more of a standard product and like in our normal. Um, line like it probably be on the will be on the website to buy in the future excellent so uh i'm sure you're gonna keep this quiet but any ideas on maybe a k4 i don't know what you'd need to change but (laughs) (laughs) any uh structure i don't want to be tempted to buy anything new because i love what i got right now but any any things in the works um yes and then I just don't know when. Um, so to be honest, like we, we are really happy with the K3 uh, mm-hmm. pack systems. They've been out since 2019. Um, so it's been several years now, but I will say that, I mean, we worked on the, the changes from K2 to K3. We worked on for several years and then launched K3. And so quite literally, as soon as we launched K3, it was like, all right, what's next? And we don't say what's next in terms of, like, hey, we need to come up with something new to sell something because the K3 has been out for several years now at this point. So we're clearly not in a rush from that perspective. Right. We just always want to try new ideas, challenge our own assumptions, et cetera. And so we've continued to, I mean, for the last two years, I don't know that I've hunted in a K3 pack. I'll put it that way. Um, been testing prototypes and there's some that we've built that have been had potential and there's some that we've built that was like, Oh, that sounded great in our heads, but that didn't work. Um, and so we just, (laughs) we take a pretty long cycle of testing and challenging ideas. And again, even our own assumptions and working on stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, we've been, we've been working and testing different ideas and next year you probably will see an update, but I can't even say that with certainty just because we're going to continue to test, um, you know, even on upcoming hunts and things like that. So yeah, the, um, 
last spring I had a different pack and then it was different than we just did our death hike in July and was had some different tweaks to that pack. And so it was just kind of like an ever evolving um, challenge really to test our own ideas and take the time to do that and truly vet it. And then because we are really happy with the K3 and where that's at, it's like, well, what do we want to change? Cause we have a product we love. It doesn't have like, it would be much easier if we said, okay, here's some major flaws we're trying to fix. That's just not the case. We're trying right. to take, something we really like and go, okay, how can we tweak this, make this better? And part of that is us, but I will say we, we legitimately are constantly listening to customer feedback. Um, and we can never accommodate every idea that every customer has, but because we are a small company and because we don't sell through dealers or retailers and we're direct to our customers, I'm talking daily with customers who use our stuff. It would be a much different story if it was like we sold packs to Cabela's or whatever, and then they turned around and sold them. And I don't know who's using it and what they're doing, but like on a daily basis, we're hearing with people um, who are using our packs and giving us feedback and definitely all that is for sure considered. I, I just had that conversation a couple days ago about the direct to consumer benefit and walking to Cabela's and Shields has some great gear, obviously. And, uh, but there's, there's something to be said about those direct to consumer companies and being able to pick up the phone and call and ask a question. I, I, I think a lot of people, um, can enjoy that and appreciate it for sure. Well, um, I'll let you get back to your day and appreciate all you guys do and keep up the good work. Keep following you. I love the, Love the the podcast. Love the uh, the gear for sure, and the packs, and uh, been something I've been sharing. And now now the my buddy's got a fleet of the XO packs, and I'll be keeping using mine um, for sure. It's been a been definitely a, a busy pack over the last two three years. So, uh, but That's yeah, awesome. yeah. Thanks for coming on and and chatting again, talking hunting. Good luck on that Colorado early season hunt and. Um, yeah, I'll have to check in later and see how it how it turned out. Yeah, sounds good, man. It'd be uh, fun to swap stories in the future, whether it's for a podcast or just to uh, yeah hear about your season and talk about hunting. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.